we have been in this series in Philippians, and uh, this, is, this has been a book that uh, the Apostle Paul, who's a follower of Jesus, wrote, and he wrote it to help us discover joy. He wrote it to help us understand what it means to live a life of joy. Now, Paul was kind of an expert on this because if anyone, if anyone was an expert on having joy when life throws them curves and things don't go the way you planned, it was Paul, who spent a lot of his life in prison, who spent a lot of his life being hated by others, who spent a lot of his life escaping and fleeing difficult situations. This was, this was Paul's whole life. And in the midst of it, from a jail cell, chained to a Roman guard, he writes to the Philippians about how to have joy and how to not be afraid of your future. Now, this is a guy who could be executed at any moment. And he writes to the Philippians, I want to tell you how to live in every single moment, in a way that you're not just looking at what's behind, you're not afraid of what's ahead of you, but how to live in these moments. Now, when it comes to being afraid, we all have some fears. And uh, every one of us, like there's something that you can probably name, like, oh yeah, I'm definitely afraid of that. And so I thought we'd just play a little game this morning, because there's actually like 10 are common fears or so every time they do a survey that come up on the survey that people say, definitely afraid of that. So Let's, let's see if you can guess at what some of these fears are this morning as we, we take a look. So this one, you know what this one is? Public speaking, yeah. Everyone is like fearful, like, I, mean, I still remember a survey, reading a survey that people would rather like face death than public speaking. Like just the fear of it is, is tremendous. So that's number one. Number two, heights. Yeah, yeah, I, I've definitely met people like this. They're like, like, don't, you know, you get near the edge of the cliff. I was always the kid who would be right up at the edge of the cliff going like this. My mother would be like seven feet back being like, no. So like fear of heights. It's a big one. Next one. The dentist. Yes. People are definitely afraid of going to the dentist. They have sharp instruments and they have tools that grind things and you smell things burning in your mouth and it causes you pain. I don't know why people are afraid of it. It seems very pleasant to me. Next one. Yeah, snakes. I'm right with this one right here. Like, I am not a big fan of snakes. I know people say that there are good snakes, but the only good snake I know of is a dead snake, okay? Next one. Flying, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, this, this last vacation, I took my mother on an airplane for the very first time in 77 years of her life. And uh, she, no death grips, like she was actually really excited about it. But there is a lot of people, and I see them when they go to take off, they have a death grip on the seat, just like that guy. Next one. Spiders. How many of you love spiders, right? Like you, how many of you, have you, when I was in Cambodia, my, one of the things that we could do in Cambodia is they actually fry up spiders. You can eat spider legs and stuff. And so my wife, who hates me, she's definitely afraid of spiders, made me promise that I would not eat spider legs, because she knew I would. And she made me promise, because she said, I will never kiss those lips again if you eat spiders. Okay, next one. This is claustrophobia, right? Like the fear of enclosed spaces, not wanting to be afraid in those tight spaces. So next one. <laughs> fear of mousetraps. Thank you, Carl Hollander. Fear of mousetraps. That's exactly right. You can tell by the picture. <laughs> yeah, fear of mice. I still remember uh, when I was in my 20s, I, my wife had some gals over there in their basement scrapbooking, and then there were screams, and there were people standing up on chairs, and it was like, we saw a mouse in the basement. 
Like, it's, it's only, like, this big. Like, they're kind of cute, really. So, uh, let's, is there, yeah, there you go. How about this one? Yeah, fear of dogs, fear of dogs. And if you've ever been to a, 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 a third world country, you understand the fear of dogs. You know, in fact, when I, was, when I was five years old, I still remember this. I remember this vividly, being attacked by a German shepherd, like, on top of me. Like, I was on the ground. The German shepherd was on top of me. It's weird I'm playing the part of the German shepherd right now. But, like, <laughs> on top of me going to, like, like, chomp my throat before my dad ran over and, like, kicked him off and rescued me and... Like, to this day, when I hear a strange dog, when I'm out on a walk or a run, and I hear a dog bark, do you know what happens? Well, I don't, well yeah, I know, actually, now I'm old. I don't run as fast as I used to. But, but I do, like, tense up, right? I'm like, okay, where is it? Where, where's the dog at? Where is it coming from? And I like dogs. I love dogs. But as soon as I'm going to meet a dog, like, I think about that moment. See, here's the thing about, here's the thing about fear. Fear is typically shaped by something in our past. When we have fears of the future, right, it's shaped by something in your past. Something, something in your past has caused you to fear something in some way. And, and that's something that you know. Like, it just, it just happens. We all deal with fear in some way. In some way, you have dealt with fear. All you have to do is turn on the evening news. If you watch the news, you know there are plenty of reasons to be afraid, whether it's a terrorist attack or whether it's because next week the oceans are going to come invade New Jersey and we're going to have beachfront in Philadelphia or whatever it is. Like, the whole news is about things that we should be afraid of. There's always a reason to be afraid. And so Paul attacks the subject. He says, listen, I know that it is easy to live your life and to be afraid, but if you have fear, what you will not have is love and joy. You will not be free. And so Paul says, I want you to live a life of freedom. This is why Jesus came, to give us the life of freedom, to not live in fear. In fact, one of the things the Bible says most often is do not fear because it will interrupt your joy. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how to deal with this. How does Paul say how to deal with our past in the light of our future so that we don't live and be afraid? And so if you want to pull out your outline this morning, you can find it in the scoop. You can pull it out and follow along this morning and fill in the blanks, follow the scriptures. As we talk about... When fear interrupts your joy, what do I do? Well, when fear interrupts your joy, because most fears come from your past, you've got to start with processing your past. When fear interrupts your joy, it's time to process your past. The problem with fear is that often, because fear comes from our past, fear often helps us or causes us to make false predictions about our future. And what I mean is, we look into our little crystal ball and we don't know what's coming, but we predict that it's going to happen the same way it used to happen. We start to look in the future and we start, we say, we start thinking, well, things went bad last time and so things are going to go bad this time. We start looking at people that are in our life and there were people in the past that maybe hurt us or wounded us or did something to us. And when we see other people, we begin to treat them like the people that were in our past because we're afraid of the future. We're, we think we're destined to repeat it. But here's the thing. Our attachment to the past prevents us from God's plan for the future. Your attachment to the past can prevent you from being part of the plan that God has for the future. And God designed you differently. Jesus came to give you freedom from that past so that you could have the future that he planned for you. God wants a different way. And Paul's about to tell us in his own journey, from his own story, 
how to do that. How do you process your past? This is what, this is what Paul says as we're entering into Philippians chapter 3. Remember, he's writing to the church of Philippi. And he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it yet. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet where I have joy every moment. I haven't gotten to the place where everything, like my life is perfect. But see, this, here's the one thing I do. Here's the thing that I focus on, he says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 3.13, he says, I, this, this is the thing that I do. If there is one thing I could tell you about, it's this thing. It's I'm working on forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now the question becomes, how do we forget the past? How do I forget this moment where this German shepherd was on top of me about to bite my throat? Like, how do I forget that? How do I, how do I move past that? And you have a lot more things in your past that you probably need to forget. Like, how do you, how do you go about forgetting that moment when, when your parents got divorced and you wondered, is it my fault? Or you felt alone? How do you get past those moments that maybe... You got picked last for the sports teams. You're always the last person picked. You always felt like, oh. You know, how do you get past that moment you thought, you know, your parents are always pushing you to do better, and you're like, am I ever going to be good enough? Or maybe you, you were living in the shadow of, of an older sibling who was very good, and you were like, I, I can't compete. Or maybe you just struggled academically and you're like, I wish I could do great at academics, but I'm not. And you just had this feeling of a, a failure and you're worried, like it causes you fear. How do you get past that? What does it involve? When Jesus came, when Jesus came to the planet and he lived in front of us, his whole purpose for living in front of us was to demonstrate this life of freedom, freedom from fear full of joy that we could have. And then when he went to the cross, he showed us the great lengths that God was willing to go to to transform you, to change you, to set you free. So when, when, when you start a living relationship with God, when you start a living relationship with Jesus, he doesn't just forgive you of your sins and save you. He does much more than that. When, when, when you start that life-giving relationship with Jesus, he begins this radical process of restoring us to his original design. You see, when you, at the very beginning, when God created people, he says, he, he, there's actually a Latin term for this, it's called, created us in his image, it's called a mago Dei, in the image of God. You were created, you were meant to live out the image of God. There is an original design for you. And somewhere along the line in your past, that got broken. Somewhere along the line, like, there's just so much brokenness and there's so much sin in the world and things, people doing things wrong. Like, it gets broken. There's something missing in us. There's a vacuum and you felt it. You felt an emptiness. You felt that, like, ah, I, wish, I wish I could feel that. Like, I feel so loved. I feel, wish I could feel full. I wish I knew where I was going. That's, that's all part of that. And God wants to restore you according to his likeness. Because according to God, we are created in his likeness. And he wants to restore us to that. He wants to work on our whole person and transform us. This is the point. This is the point of your journey with Christ. Now, if you were to go through the New Testament, so I'm thinking about Paul now. If you were to go through the New Testament and not just read this little passage in Philippians, but to read all of Paul's writings and to read the other writings of people who follow Jesus closely, you would discover that they use this one word a lot, heart. 
right? Transformation of the heart, renewal of the heart. They use this heart. In fact, they use it 210 times in the New Testament. And the Greek word for this word heart actually means, it's a figurative term. It doesn't mean the organ heart. It means the figurative whole person, all of your person. And so when it talks about it, it, it's really talking about God's construction zone, which is your inner person, your interior life that God wants to work on. He wants to transform. and He wants to transform how we remember our past. He wants to transform how we value things. He wants to transform our sensitivity to what he's doing in our life. That's all the things that God wants to do in you. Now, during this, as we've been walking through Philippians, one of the things I chose to do this summer is choose to read through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke who was with Jesus. He was a doctor. He, he re, well-researched all of Paul's journeys. And so it's kind of, Acts is kind of the history of Paul who wrote this letter in Philippians. And so, so we find the history of it. And as I'm reading the history of it, and I'm thinking about what Paul writes, it's helped me really understand Paul's process of forgetting. So Paul's got this past, right? Paul's murdered people. Paul has been, has jailed people. Paul's got a CD past. But you remember last week we talked about he also has a past like for the people in the Jewish sect before he became part of the way, Christian. He, he, uh, he had kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Like I've done everything right. I've done all these external things right before he discovered none of them were really pleasing to God. It was all working on the outside and not on the inside. And so if you look at Paul's process of forgetting, this is what he did. So Paul comes to Jesus. Paul discovers that he really does believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the living God, and that he wants a relationship. So in this process, and we'll talk about that later, Paul, Paul actually becomes blind. He actually gets blinded through this encounter he has with Christ. And, and through that whole encounter, as he begins to love Jesus, he wants to learn about him. So this is what he does. He goes off by himself in the wilderness for a while to discover, to rediscover, to relook at the Scriptures to say, who was this Jesus? I, I know who... He was, I saw him live, but I want to rediscover who God's always said he's going to be. And then he goes and seeks out people who were with Jesus, the apostles. And he says, I want to be with people that really knew Jesus. I want to be with people who have this close relationship with Jesus because I want that too. I want to rediscover it. So he involves himself in this community aspect, this connecting with friends, with people he admires their relationship with God. And then he, he shows up at the temple on a regular basis to have conversations with people, to really understand, to be in awe of God, and to help other people be in awe of God. And, and then he, he serves, he finds, he wants to serve people. He's, oh, he lives his life. It's like, he says, I want to live my whole life for the sake of others, to love them, to show them the way, to show them that God really does love them, to convince them. That God's not mad at them. He's not angry with them. He's not far off in distance. He is a loving father. Like, it's, this is Paul's whole life now. Now, maybe some of those environments sound familiar to you. If you come to daybreak, maybe they should, right? Because these are the environments that we believe are life-changing environments in your own transformation process. Coming to Sunday, this whole experience is about, it's not just about showing up and sitting in a chair because you should. It's about coming here with the attitude of, I want to discover God. I want to be in awe of God. I want to hear what things that people who have followed God said, and I want to become in awe of that again. And, and coming here and, and, and then connecting with people, like 
connecting with people was huge. I mean, it, it has been transformational in my life. I mean, ever since I started following Jesus, when I was young and I started following Jesus in my 20s, decided I really want a relationship with God and I believe that Jesus is the person that's going to help me do that, I started going to church. I had friends that helped, helped me come to church. And you know what? I mean, I'm not bragging on our church, but I've been to a lot of churches and our church is pretty awesome. I, I really do believe that. You know, and I actually, I tell people sometimes in the summer, I take my kids to other churches like that, like, I know that like, they're just going to get a new perspective. They're going to appreciate the church that they come to, that we work super hard on engaging you and helping you be in awe of God. So I've been to other churches where it's like, wow, I wish, like, I don't even know if I'm going to love Jesus by the end of the service. Like, I, I'm not, and I'm not being kind of mean. I'm just, just being honest. But here's the thing. I kept going. Do you want to know why? Because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I get out of the church service. Like I discovered this early on. This is about me coming before the living God, shoulder to shoulder with others who want to love God and say, God, I want to be in awe of you. No matter what else, who says what and how the worship team does or whatever happens, I want to be in awe of you. And this is my point in the week where I gather to do this. And I, and I got in small groups early on. I, I joined small groups. In college, I was in a group of guys who really helped me point towards Jesus, helped me have real conversations about what a relationship with God would look like. In my 20s, when I was early married, I, I was in a small group, and my, the guy that was one of my, be, is my, one of my best friends now was the leader of that group. And I'm in that group, and I'm in a, now I'm in a theodicy, like I run a formational group called Theodicy in the fall and throughout the year, and it's it is fantastic. It is amazing. And I got to tell you, if you want to grow with God, you have to find those connections. Because if you don't find those connections, you'll just drift away. You need a life-changing environment because that's where you forget your past. That's where those things in your past, you get to have real conversations about them. And it's so easy to drift in life. And you've got to find places to serve. That's always been so huge in my radar. Like I've learned early on, this is a life-changing environment. When God flows through you, when God does something through your life to impact someone else, you never forget it. Never forget it. When you leave an eternal impact on somebody else's life, it changes you. And you, you feel closer to God, and it transforms your heart. When you serve in ways, and you know, I do this on a regular basis. You probably do this in your home. Like when, when you do things in your house to serve your family, right, that, that you don't really like to do, but you do them because you love them, you know what I'm talking about? You know, like the toilet, you know, the, the dishes, the, the whatever it is on your list around the house. You're like, I'd rather not do that, but I'm going to do that just to love somebody else in my house. Doesn't it transform you somehow? Doesn't it, doesn't it change who you are on the inside when you, especially when you do that, not like, like you're not like, like the whole time, but you're actually doing it like joyfully. It changes you. You need these environments. It is too easy to drift in our culture without them. And Paul says this is, when we look at Paul's life, this is the process of being transformed uh, to, to learn how to do this in a real way. You know, my, when my son um, first started playing basketball in, in high school and gaining a love for it, I remember back when my body supported playing basketball, um, I, I remember playing with him and I remember like one game we were talking about how it was going. He was like, yeah, once I missed this shot or that shot or I, did, I made this mistake, like then my whole game was off. And I said, I said, bud, you're going to have to learn this, not just for basketball, but for life. You have to learn how to forget your mistakes and remember your lessons. I said, you, you remembered when you made that shot, it was a bad, it was just, you shouldn't have made the shot, you should have passed the ball. He's like, yeah. I'm like, don't, don't remember the mistake. 
remember the lesson. Remember the good thing that you learned there. And just apply that. But don't live in that moment. Don't just keep living in that moment. You've got to let go of that moment and live in the present and look forward to the future. That's what Paul's inviting us all to, to let go of those moments. So the question becomes, what's that, what's that involve? I think it involves three things. It involves a lot of things, but these three things are super important. One is your will, your desires. You have to decide for yourself. You have to have a resolve like Paul did. Say, I want to seek God. I want to know God, and I, I'm going to change my priorities. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to do that, and I'm going to let God reform my will and empower it. Another is your emotions. You decide that you're going to have real conversations with God. You, I guarantee this, if you don't have, you don't talk with God about what you're feeling. If you stuff your feelings and don't really, like you go, well, I'm angry, but I'm not going to tell anybody, or I'm sad, but I'm not going to tell anybody. If you don't tell God when you're angry at him, if you don't tell God, you don't have conversations with God about your emotions, you're never going to grow spiritually. You're never going to get past your past. When you have fear, when you think about your future and you go, I'm afraid, that is the conversation you need to have with God. That's prayer. That's the essence of prayer. Emotions are the essence of how we have conversations with God, the channels through which we have authentic conversation with God. And the third thing that this involves is your conscience. It involves an openness to your conscience to allow God to reform your ability to discern right and wrong. Because it is too easy to rationalize right and wrong. And if you don't, if you don't allow God to have your sensitivity in your spirit, say, God, will you reform my view of right one. Will you repoint my compass towards you? It will be too easy just to live your life and do what's good for you, as opposed to choose to do what's right and wrong and what God believes that is. He wants to redesign you. He wants you to be according to that design. Here's the thing. God initiates it. God empowers it. You have a role to play, but this is God's role in your life. Your job is to seek God. Your job is to open up your life authentically and say, God, will you do this? It's God who does it. And as he does it, our role is to partner with him. Our role is to say, God, what do you want? What's your next step for me? How do I bring this fear into your presence? But you, in order for that to work, you have to listen. You have to decide, I want to really listen for God's voice. I want to say, God, you're real. Speak to me. Speak to me for real. But you have to have an intent to respond. If you don't have any intent to respond when you ask God to speak to you, if you're like, God, speak to me, and then I'll do it if, I, if it sounds good, you're never going to be transformed. You're never going to have the kind of life-giving relationship with God that you really want. You can't. Because the only way to get there is to listen with the intent to obey. To bring down everything in our life and to say, God, will you help me re-see it your way so that I can live it the way you intended me to, to live it. We've got to stop just ignoring our fears. We've got to move forward. That's what Paul's saying. Process your past. Move forward. And so this is the second thing that Paul said. When fear interrupts your joy, he says, don't just, you've got to work on forgetting and processing your past, but then you've got to focus on your future. You've got to focus on your future. I'm saying this a lot these days because my kids are about to head to college. They're 18, they're heading to college, the summer before college, and they, you know, they haven't even scheduled their classes yet, right? I'm like, 
Guys, it starts in a month. Like, you can't just show up to college and pick a class to go to. Like, you, you, you got to focus on your future. You got to look forward, not just stay in this moment. You got to look forward, too. Focus on your future. And that's, that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. Not to live according to our past and what defines us. Not to allow our past to define our future. Paul's saying, no, no, no. You need to look forward to the future that God has for you. Your future transformation, your future relationship with Jesus. He says in verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 3, No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it yet, but I focus on this, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I press on to reach the end of the race. I press on, I strain forward to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul talks about this great commitment he has. He says, if you want to look forward to your future, it requires this great commitment to move forward, to say, I want to look forward to all that God has for me. All of the new possibilities that God wants for you are all ahead. Paul says, you've got to look forward to that. You've got to look forward to the, your life in the future, the, what God wants to do. He wants to transform you. He wants to have a living relationship with you. And I find that this commitment that Paul has is not just a pretty incredible commitment. It's a rare commitment. It's a commitment that people find very difficult to make. I mean, as he explains it, you see this like single clarifying priority in his life. He says, this one thing. This one thing in my life that's important. This one thing that I want to do. Now, probably you get up in the morning, and if you're like me, the most natural thing to say to yourself is not this one thing I must do, but what? These 200 things I must do, right? Like, I, I've got all these things that need done. I've got to get, them, I gotta get ahead of them, and so... I get, what, what is on my list? You probably go to sleep and you're thinking about what are all these things need to happen. Paul says this one thing. What is this one thing? When, when Jesus, you remember this story, some of you remember this story, if, when Jesus was asked by someone, hey, Jesus, I, I studied all the commandments, I studied all the things that God says, these things you have to do, all the things the Jewish law says you must do to please God. He says, I'm trying to do all of them, but I just got to ask, what's the most important thing? What's the one thing that I should focus on? If I had to pick one thing that everything sums up, everything that God wants me to do, what would that be? Remember what Jesus said? Love God, right? Now, not just love God. Like, Jesus, Jesus was never one to give you just a little, like, eh, just love God. What did he say? Love God with all your heart and all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, right? Love him completely. This one clarifying essence of life that will bring you joy. Love God. All of you. Not just like, hey, love God and do these thousand other things. No, this is your life. This one single clarifying commitment to love God. And Jesus said there was one just like it, to love people as yourself, to love people, to prioritize them. Paul talked about earlier in Philippians, to put others' needs ahead of your own. Like, this is the one thing that we're to do. 
amidst all the other things you have to do at work, amongst all the political struggles you might have in your job, amongst all the strains that you might have in relationships with your friends, amongst all the things that you're thinking about during your summer. This one thing, love Jesus with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, and it will release joy into your life. If you find yourself being afraid or being, feeling like your past is still defining the future, feeling like your joy has been erupted, and you're thinking about all the things that are ahead or all the things you don't know about are ahead or you're unsure about things, Paul says, this, this is one thing. Love God. Everything you have, seek Him fully and then love others. And if you'll do that, you'll find joy. It kind of simplifies things, doesn't it? Now, remember, when Paul had this one singular commitment, it wasn't just that it was one singular commitment. It was that it was visionary. It was that Paul said, as I look to my future, I don't see like what, oh, that's probably not going to happen. Oh, that's probably not good. Paul looked at the future and he said, I am, I am striving ahead and I'm looking at the heavenly prize, the thing that God wants for me. In other words, he believed what's true of God. What Jesus came to prove to us was true of God, and that's that God wants the very best for your life. That God wants to restore you to the original design, not afraid, not worried, not thinking about other things, not just trying to compete with other people, not having all these things in your past that wreck relationships in your future. He says, I want to restore you to the original design, a design in which you are free, free to love others, free from those things that haunt you, free from fears that keep you from living out the life that God has for you. That's what I've come to do. That's what I want for you. Paul says, I look forward to that. I want that heavenly prize. And the heavenly prize isn't heaven. The heavenly prize is being present with the Almighty God. And in the presence of his love, we are totally restored and free. He said, I look forward to that moment. I look forward, not that I've achieved it yet, but I look forward to the transformation that God's doing in my heart. I look forward to becoming the person that God always designed me to be. This is what Paul is saying. It, it, it's, it's single, it's clarifying, it's visionary, and it's energetic. And he says in here, he says, when you're, as you're doing this, he has this image of a race that he brings up, this idea of pressing on. In some, some translations of the Bible, they translate the Greek to say, straining on, straining on towards the end of the race. In 1997, there was a race. It was an Ironman triathlon. And uh, at the end of the race, I realized 1997 was before some of you were born. But they, we still had races back then. This was one of them. And, and two, two women, um, Sam Welch and uh, Wendy Ingram, were racing. And as they're coming to the end of this, 140 miles. That's how much they covered. Can you imagine this? 140 miles. Like, I don't even like to drive 140 miles, okay? They... they Biked and swam and ran 140 miles. And as they're coming to the end, if you watch, go, go Google the YouTube of it. This is, it is, it's incredible and powerful to watch. They're like falling down like this, like, and, and they're looking back and they're competing against each other and they're just they're trying to get up and they'll take another step and they'll fall down again and they're stumbling over top of each other, literally, as they're like 50 yards to the finish. And they, they do this for a little while and they get to the point where their body's like, they can't feel their legs. They got... Their body just shuts down. Things in their body are just shutting down. And they can't, even, they can't even stand anymore. And as they get to this point in the race where they can't even stand anymore, they begin to crawl to the finish line. Ten yards. They hand and knees to the finish line where they collapse over. 
This is the imagery that Paul is talking about here. As we, if you want to live the life of joy that God has for you, you can't just live your life and be like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I'll do that life-changing environment when I have time, but I'm going to go over here and do this, and i got these other hundred things to do. Like, you, you want to have joy? you got to choose to be in life-changing environments. you got to choose to say, Jesus, this one thing that I am going to strain for, no matter what comes in my life, no matter what other great opportunities come up, I am going to focus on, God, what do you want from me? Because I want you. I want to know you. I want to be transformed by you. I want to be loved by you. I want to let go of my past. And I want to be free to live the life that you designed me to live. This is what God wants for you, but it will take a single, clarifying, energetic commitment to move towards God, to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Because when fear interrupts your joy, it's because other things have crept into your life that are super important besides loving Jesus. And Jesus wants you to understand that. He wants you to have that truth in your life. He wants you to, to, to end well. Now, for Paul, if, you think, if you're a person who's like, well, who does that? Like, who lives like that? I want you to know that Paul's life wasn't always that. In fact, the first week of Paul's following of Jesus was terrible. In fact, after he, after he was confronted with Jesus on the road, Damascus Road, he at, left him blind. Everybody else could hear the voice, but they couldn't see the light, and it left Paul blind. So his friends were like, dude, what happened? We heard something. There was something supernatural, kind of spooky here, but we don't really know what it was. And Paul was left blind. He knew exactly what it was. Jesus had confronted him. So he goes to this town, and he sits in this room by himself for three days. He does not eat or drink. Now, some of you have gone without a meal for a day, right? You're ravished. You're like, you're like, man, I'm so hungry at the end of the day. Have you ever gone without anything to drink for three days? Like, what, what state does a person have to be in? To not eat or drink. They have to be heartbroken. Their heart has to be so broken. It's like, I want, because I believe that what was going on in Paul's heart is he was heartbroken. He was like, God, I realized I, I tried to live my whole life to make it about you, and it wasn't. It was about me. I've never let you on the inside to transform me, and now I realize that my life could be different. So God sent this prophetic man to speak over Paul. And as the story goes, what happened was he came to Paul. Paul's blind, and he says, Paul, God wants you to see. Not only does God want you to see, God wants to use you in significant ways to help others know Jesus. God wants you to serve others and love him. God wants you to be restored to the original image that he made you in, Paul. And so Paul got a sight back. Paul began to have his heart healed, and Paul began his journey. Now, I say this because some of you have moments, too. You're like, I, I don't know what I'm facing. I don't know what that, I've tried to make something in a relationship work, and it hasn't. I, I've, I've tried to, my life isn't where I hoped it would be. I hoped it would be here, and I hoped these things would be happening, and I've, I've strained to make all that happen, and it just hasn't. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. Some of you have hit a wall spiritually, and you're going, you're here this morning going, I've tried to grow, and it's just, it's not working for me, and am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to be transformed? Am I ever going to know God like that? So maybe it's time to take Paul's advice. Because if you really want transformation, you really want to be restored, this one thing you must do. 
love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Say, God, if you're real, you make yourself real to me. You transform me. I want to be open to you. I'm going to love you with everything. I'm going to make all of my priorities about that. Amongst all the other things I have to do, I'm going to know that everything I do, I'm going to ask myself, am I loving God well here? Am I loving others well? Because that is what Paul says, a life of joy is filled. So this morning, I want to give you a moment to respond. To ask yourself, what is it that you need to let go of in your past? What's been holding you back? What, what, as you look forward to the future, what is the things that you're going, I've been afraid of that. I've been distracted by that. I've been thinking, I've been disappointed in that. And you don't look forward to the future. You're a little afraid of the future. What is it that you've been suppressing and saying, I don't even want to think about that? Because God wants to give you hope. God wants to give you a new day. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Ask yourself this question. What is it that you need in your life to love God more? What is it that you need to let go of so that you can love God more? So that you can seek Him more? So there's a little response card, your program guide. Can everybody get that out for a minute? So I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm just going to let you ask yourself that question. You can ask for prayer. You can just use that as a moment of reflection. But this is the most important part of the service, because today if you just came and you just heard all this stuff and you walk away from it, you'll have missed the great opportunity that God has given you this morning to respond to him. Say, God, how do I love you more? How do I have joy again because I love you more? Because that's what God wants to do in your life. So this morning, will you start to think about that? And I just want to say a prayer for you. The worship team's going to come, and they're going to play, and you're going to sing. But I want you to have a moment to respond and to tell God what it is that you desire for him to do in your life, what you're willing to let go of, that the single clarifying visionary commitment towards loving him. Let me pray. Lord, this morning we need you. We need you to set us free from our past. From the things in our past that have caused us to fear our future, from the things in our past that have caused us not to look forward to what you have for us, things that have interrupted our joy, that have stolen our moments of really being restored to the kind of joy that you always dreamed that you had for us. So, Lord, will you help us to no longer be slaves to our past? Will you help us, Lord Jesus, to live out this singular commitment to love you with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul? Will you help us focus on this gift that you've given us, Jesus, which you said if you believe and you receive my forgiveness, you become my children. You become part of God's forever family. God, will you help us focus on We're not slaves to all those things in our past. The past doesn't define us. What defines us is that we can be God's children, his loving, loved sons and loved daughters, being restored to the very image of God. Lord, this morning, will you transform us by your grace and help us to make decisions as we head into this fall to choose you well. I pray this in Jesus' name.